Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. <laughs> morning. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's nice to see you all. See a bunch of smiling faces. We have this beautiful morning, this beautiful day. Um, it's great to be with y'all. I hope everybody's doing well. If you want, we'll stand up and we'll we'll pray and we'll praise God. Uh, Father, we love you. Uh, we're here for you this morning. Um, last week and just everything leading up to it was just amazing, and uh, we're just uh, so grateful for that, for Easter, for you. Uh, we're here again for you today. Uh, so may we praise you with these words, um, hear your word through Leonard, and may we grow today as people, as brothers and sisters, as a church. Uh, just let it be a great morning for you and your kingdom. Um, just uh, lift everything up to you, God. We lay everything at your feet. Uh, we are here because you are the cornerstone of our faith. You are the reason we get out of bed every day. And we love you and we praise you for that. is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus name let's sing that verse together again My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ seems to hide his face I'll rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil Christ Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. 
shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, and faultless stand before the throne. Just to be able to lift up the name of the Lord, I mean, there's just something powerful about that, especially when you contrast it with just the fact that the world just seems to be emptier and emptier and emptier and more bankrupt. You come in here, and there's just something that is deeply satisfying about lifting up the name of the Lord, hopefully in hearing the word of the Lord and having the Lord speak to us, which I believe he does, every one of us, uh, as we come to a place like this, as uh, we gather online uh, God is with us. Um, I, I, I wanted to show, I, di- I, I didn't think about it until too late, but I wanted to show uh, 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 a, a graphic that uh, Mary Shub had sent me uh, regarding the school shooting in Nashville. And it was a picture of a beautiful rainbow. And, I mean, I've never seen a rainbow as vivid and spectacular as the one that she sent and my, and my response to her was, God is with those guys. We don't understand it, but God is with them. And I think in microcosm, it just, it really illustrates what a lot of people feel. And yet, God is here. And we know that he is alive, he is risen. And we just sang that he is Lord. And there is nothing like knowing the confidence that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord and he loves us, and he is for us. And so that's kind of your primer for worship today as we sing and as we just think about who we are in him. But I also want to know if there's anything that you have on your heart today that we can pray about, that you want to celebrate, anything that um, you wanted to bring to uh, the brothers and sisters in the Lord, and just say, hey, 
this is a thing that's on my mind and my heart, and I need to share it. Anybody have anything? Yeah, Diane. Pray for the Snyder family in the United District. Uh, lost their son, and of course lost a, a parent as well. And uh, they're obviously very grief struck. So we hopefully can keep them lifted up. Anything else? Yeah, Diane. April 30th, I have a brand new great grandson. Oh wow! April 30th, brand new great grandson, Jameson Flynn. Oh boy, yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations for the new life in your family. One more birthday to remember, just telling you, okay? So that's good, though. That's a good problem to have. John? Tuesday, Peg and I celebrate our 59th wedding. No kidding. 59 years. That is awesome. Yeah. That is really cool. Well, I hate to say this, and he's going to hate me for saying it, but when you guys were together for nine years, this guy right over here came into the world today. Jason Austin turns 50. So he still looks like he's 25. That's the thing. That's the thing that's so, so, so crazy about it. So happy birthday, Jason. Yeah. Liz? You and I are married 57 years today. 57 years today. Wow. That's good. That gives us all hope, right? So thank you guys for keeping it together, being strong, keeping the Lord at the center. Yes, Pat? All right. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that as well. Yeah, a lot of people have had their own stories for sure, and uh, it's always good to um, recover and to be in a good place. All right, well, we're just going to take that, and we're going to bring this before the Lord and just uh, invite him into our, our prayer and our intercession. So would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, as we gather, we know that you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords, that you have given us uh, a, a, an invitation into a new life and a new way of living, a new way of trusting, a new way of understanding. And so, Father, thank you that you provide our daily bread every day. Thank you that even though we are confused in the moment when we look in the rearview mirror, we see you working together for good. And even in the things that we don't understand, like school shootings or injustices that happen on a daily basis, we know that somehow there's a vision that you've given us that says, I'm going to make it all right one day. And Lord, in that in-between time when we live in hope and trust in the promises that have been given us and the reality of Christ who is with us by your Spirit, we know that you are moving towards something. And we thank you, Father, that you give us a hope each week as we gather. Your Holy Spirit activates in our heart that sense of awareness that you are with us 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in the lives of the people around us, we see you, just your imprint reflected in the image that each of us represents. We thank you for that, Lord. Those are the things that sustain us in a moment in time that um, is so challenging for many of us to live in. And we thank you that as you faithfully walk alongside us, uh, we know that you have our backs, but you also call us to see what is happening around us and to speak to that in a way that can offer that same promise and that same hope. And so I pray for us as a church that we would be faithful to that calling and that you would see uh, a a church that is uh, attuned and, and aware of your presence in our lives, the things you call us to do, the, the kingdom that you, 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 you commission us to represent, and the, the, the community around us where m- most of us in the room could probably say, Lord, that we've had a conversation with somebody where the brokenness of what they're experiencing has come out. And Lord, we feel that, and we feel that burden, and we especially feel it whenever there are people who don't know you and don't have resources in you and the despair that seems to just overshadow them. Father, that is a burden that we know you carry every day, and you, you, place, you place it in, in, in our midst so that we can see it and be agents towards whatever it is that we can do to help it. And so we thank you for sustaining us, whether you've sustained us in marriages or just in in, in milestones where we recognize your faithfulness through the course of our lives, uh, where you sustain us as we overcome illness, and where you bring us through things that were very dark valleys, and we know that you are with us, and that this too shall pass. We thank you, Father, that your activity is evident for eyes that, can, that are attuned to seeing it. Uh, so, Father, we just want to celebrate those things. We thank you for what you've been doing in our church, uh, for the many people that have stepped up to just find their calling and to do the things that um, are directed towards your kingdom purpose. I pray for us as leaders as we think about that role that we have in providing a place and a space and a path uh, to do that, that you continue to fuel our vision for the road ahead. And Father, I just pray for families right now that are grieving the loss of loved ones that have died tragically or suddenly, and we pray that you would just be that comfort as only you can through your spirit. And I pray for us, if we need nudge, that you would do that. If we need uh, to be called out, that you would do that. And if we need to be encouraged, that we could hear your voice in that way as well. Lord, we want to be conformed to the image and likeness of your son as you've called us to be. Uh, So give us hearts to be open to that and to surrender to that. And so as we just frame our understanding of our day and how it sets the tone for the rest of the week, we pray that as we, um, we, just, we just say the Lord's Prayer together, that the substance of it would just uh, sink deeply into uh, our being so that we can live it out. And we begin just by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if um, you have your Bibles or electronic device or tablet or scroll or whatever the medium, or maybe you've memorized it, I don't know, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of John chapter 3. We're pivoting back to John uh, and picking up where we left off before uh, in that book. We kind of got started and then we jumped into Luke for just a season. And I'm anxious to get back into it because there's some really powerful things. And I think things that um, are, 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 are very pastorally not only comforting but helpful and assuring uh, that, 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 that we encounter in the book of John. So as we, um, as we get into um, our text this morning, we're going to be looking at John 3, verses 22. Uh, <coughs> maybe not. <coughs> um, maybe, the, maybe we'll just take up an offering and we'll go home. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, just uh, anyway, it's been a joy knowing Jason all these years. Um, we, we have a text here that is, is kind of an interesting one because it showcases a truth that emerges in John chapter 2 through 4 uh, that we're going to settle into here in just a minute. But I just want to read a couple of verses here and, uh, and, and, and provide some kind of commentary, and, uh, and, and then we'll move on. So let's do it. So it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim uh, because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. I'll just stop there for a minute. I just want to say that if you get confused about reading a name in the Bible that you can't pronounce, just pronounce it like you know what you're saying and it'll all be good. Uh, I kind of hesitated a little bit, and you're like, does he really know what he's doing? Um, for the most part, no, but uh, in some cases, I, I do um, have, have some, hopefully, competencies. But uh, that said, that word baptism seems to be showing up a lot. A lot of people are getting, well, they're getting immersed. I mean, something is getting ready to happen. I mean, you can just kind of feel it here. That uh, out of that, something, something powerful, something dramatic is getting ready to unfold. It's not unlike living in Salem right now. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Um, if you notice my car, it's clean. You know why? Because I got 10,000 options here. All of a sudden, we go from, you know, a couple of car washes to there's one on every block. And, and, I, and, I, and I wonder, what do they know that I don't know, because they're really gearing up for something. I mean, we got a car wash here, then here, then here, then there, then there, then who knows, you know, all over the town. I'm like, something is going on, and I'm not privy to that conversation. But these guys, they're gearing up. Now, I know there's something weird in the air for sure. And part of me says the problem is a little bit deeper than there's just a lot of dirty cars out there, Salem, Ohio. You need to step up your game. I think the problem runs a little bit deeper than the fact that we've got an auto hygiene issue happening. But maybe that's where it starts. I don't know. I mean, there's something about a car that when you clean it, 
it just kind of smiles at you, doesn't it? It's sort of happy. Um, and, and when you just let it go, it just sort of says, you know what? If you don't care about me, then I'll just fall apart. I mean, that's what my car tells me, and I, I'm, I'm like, I'll, I'll try to keep you clean. Um, but then you're like, you're talking to your car, Leonard. Uh, there's car washes everywhere. I mean, the world is crazy, but I don't need you to be alongside that. Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, there is something getting ready to happen. I don't know if I would say that it's in this world, but I have that conversation on a regular basis that uh, the, the economy's doing weird things, that um, there's just a sense in the air of an undertone of anxiety. You hear it in people's voices. There is a, a kind of uncertainty that rages where people are asking, where is this all going? And if you felt that, you are not alone because when Jesus showed up and John the Baptist before him, those very sensibilities were in the hearts and the minds of the people that Jesus was coming to, 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 to know and to show compassion towards and to heal and to lift up and to put them on the right path. And as he was doing that, he had somebody who helped pave the way for that. And, um, it, you know, it, it, it's always good whenever you come into a situation where a lot of the work has already been done. You know, I think about, you know, when I, when I did follow your dad, there was a lot of work that he did that uh, being here 17 years, I really appreciate uh, the, the input that he created uh, and the space that he created for us to do ministry. You know, and I think about even Amy coming on board and how there are a lot of things that she was attuned to where we've created a ready-made environment for her to just hit the ground running. And I think that's just the way it should be. As we live our lives out, it's sometimes in preparation for the people that are to come. And as we think about just the world ahead, there's a good question in the back of our minds. Are we preparing this world to offer a legacy of influence and space and hopefully life-giving health that when kids come into the world, they can participate in that and they can thrive in that. But I would offer that we have a lot of work to do before those kids can come in and say, the institutions that are here to support me, whether it's the schools or whether it's just the, the, the broader institutions, they're struggling. And it's no fault of the teachers. It's no fault of the administrators. It is where our culture is at. And there's only one thing that historically has been effective in influencing culture, and that is the Word of God. And we've lived in the legacy of the Word of God for a long time in the United States, but... Now that it's sort of been deleted, we're feeling the emptiness of how this space no longer has that life-giving feel. At least that's my, my sense, that if you take God out of the equation, you take that life-giving source out of the equation. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you rearrange the furniture. You can't bring that it factor back. And in Jesus' day... As John the Baptist is showing up and baptizing people, they are just going gangbusters. You know why? Because there was a sense that God has been, 
he's been absent from the equation. I mean, sure, we have a temple, we have a priesthood, we have a sacrificial system, but it's a lot of going through the motions. We need something different. And when John the Baptist showed up, he said, make straight the way of the Lord because something different is coming. And how does he do that? Well, it, it, it doesn't mean that he's gone and he's got the best Uh, equipment for road building, he has gone proclaiming a word to the people in the community whose hearts aren't right with God, and he's directing them to reposition themselves so that your heart is right with God, so that you can receive what God has to say. I'm not saying when you come to church you have to be perfect, But I am saying you have to bring with you a desire to receive from God the thing that he has for you. And that's not always easy. And John the Baptist came, and when he spoke, it must have been one of those powerful voices, kind of like my my, my seventh grade, this is why I'm remembering this, my my, my seventh grade social studies teacher, uh, uh, Guy Little. He was one of those voices that was so commanding that when he said something, everybody just, what did he say? And we just did it. And he made a wonderful coach because he just, he just didn't go against what he said. His word was gospel. And John had that effect on the lives of the people. They were not only ready for something different, they were ready to receive that thing that would challenge them. That's how desperate they were. And my friends, I think we are in that moment where a lot of our pretensions are being put aside and we are feeling the sense of, if not God, then what? And that creates a sense of surrender that says, God, I can't do it without you. I need you. And when God speaks to us, he says, I love you, but I've got better things for you. And I want to help you become who you're supposed to be. And so the point of baptism was to just create a clean starting place for that to occur. So John baptized with water, and the water imagery in the Bible is always about cleaning things. And maybe yesterday you are cleaning your car, or maybe you are cleaning your house, or maybe you are spring cleaning, I don't know. But it's just this sense of, yeah, I just like to have a fresh start for the summer ahead. And Jesus, when he showed up, he brought something additional to that cleansing process that John had basically established. He brought a spirit that would inhabit that place that was now hospitable to the things of God. And and really, that's how God works. He looks at your heart, and he says, what is going on inside of there? And is there stuff in there that's not right? Is there stuff in there that you buried that you need to own, and you you need to name it, you need to call it out, and you need to say, God, this is a thing. I'm embarrassed to say it, I'm reluctant to say it, perhaps I don't want to say it. And it could be, God, I'm addicted to this, or God, I haven't been honest about that, 
Or God, I just, well, I have just basically lived my life going through the motions, even coming to church going through the motions. And I need to recapture why you are important. And all of that, just like today, is just stirring up. And what I love about that is that it is going somewhere because John was, he was sent. And that's probably the first thing that I want to say to you guys is that God sends people to do his work, to be responsible with his calling, with his purpose. And that may be directly related to where you are because I, I'm seeing some interesting things happen. It was, it was interesting talking to, to Chris Ryder this morning because she just echoed something I've been hearing, and that was, she said, I reluctantly started a Bible study uh, a few months ago, and I had no idea what I was doing. I just felt like God said, I got to do this. And then it was validating to hear her say, yeah, God's really blessed that. We've just sort of been open to it, and, I, and I pr- I'm going to embarrass you, Chris, a little bit, but I prayed publicly in front of them. And I just am like, I'm so proud. Well, this was a stressful week and uh, had to finally get my taxes done. And I invested some money in a Roth IRA because I I don't want to be the guy on the street corner whenever 65 rolls around, you know. So I had to pay a lot of money in taxes and I'm stressed about it. And I, you know, I talked to my tax lady and she said, it's, it's bad. And I said, well, how bad? And she told me, I'm like, So I'm just breathing a sigh of relief. And then she starts to tell me because she's, her husband just died and she's elderly and she lives uh, in a community just north of here, little one. And she said, God prompted me to do something. And it was weird, but um, I just lost my husband and had a conversation with some other women that lost her husband. And I said, you know what? I, I'm just going to invite a couple of you over for tea. So she she just kind of threw the word out in their community, hey, uh, on Tuesdays at such and such a time, I just want you to come over for tea and maybe some prayer. And she thought she might get five or six people. She said she was shocked when 20 people showed up. And I, I said, uh, Eva Jean, I think you got something going on here that God has called you into. And you're probably in way over your head, which is exactly where God wants you to be. Because he sees all of these disconnected, isolated people. And there is nothing worse if you're going through a mental health crisis than to be disconnected and isolated. Because our minds just don't do well. And yet, you say, well, I'm going to offset the loneliness by turning on the news. Well, I've got news for you about the news. The news is just garbage. I'm just going to say it. It has no redeeming value. It is all designed to get you stirred up about something so that you'll come back and get stirred up about something else the next day. I've, kinda, I've given up on the news, but I've filled that void with a trust that says, God, whatever that stuff is, I know you are big enough to sustain it. And if you don't, you're big enough to sustain us together as a church. So I will take care of the news that I know here, 
And I will do my, re, my due diligence to be responsible to my community of people here. That's about all I can do. I will pray for people that are governing authorities because that is my responsibility, but I'm not going to listen to the news. Because did you know there's a mental health crisis? And that is not the place to go. And if you're like me, even if you feel pretty stable and grounded in the Lord, you're not unaffected by these things. If you know anybody who's not, all the more reason to be anchored in the things of the Lord. Now, the people in Jesus' day, they had all of that plus some. And this is an epic moment because God is not only saying, hey, I've come to help fix your problems. I've actually sent John to say, I got, I got a plan. And so let's explore that a little bit. So when Jesus shows up and you got dueling baptism banjos happening here, there are people who are not really aware of what is happening here other than to say we've got John and we've got Jesus and it seems like the loudest voice is going to win. And John doesn't even go there. So here's how it unfolds. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And that has to do with baptism, of course. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all of them are going to him. And so it's sort of like, hey, you know what? Our group is getting smaller and theirs is getting bigger. And John's like, yeah, it doesn't work that way because we're all on the same team here. It's kind of like one church saying, hey, we're getting better and you're not. I mean, it's stupid because we're all going the same place. Our job is to just get as many people of us to that place and that place is something we're going to show you in a minute. But as this sort of kind of competition mindset is stirring, John has got to sort of set the record straight and say, hey, the rules are going to change. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And John is actually a prototype for you and I. Because we're asking the question, I think if we're serious about our faith, we're asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? Is it just come to church and be faithful and tithe in worship? Or is there something that you want to, me to be engaged in that says, I want you to recognize You've invested your life in this world, in this creation, and that's a wonderful thing, but there's a new creation coming, and I want you to invest towards that. And a lot of us get that prompting because we recognize this world is kind of going to fade away. And there's a world that is yet to come that's described in Scripture that hopefully anticipates a lot of things that we, we long for. Because there's just a lot of things in this world that are broken. And if they're not broken, they're kind of unfair. We don't, we don't, justice doesn't really happen that well. Try, try having somebody hit your car and total it. I discovered a whole world out there of stuff that is going on regarding how that event can help people make money. 
And uh, I'll just tell you briefly, and this is why the, the idea of injustice and fairness and the world not being right stirs up. I, 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 you know, I, I'm thinking we had the, the car was hit, and we're going to contact the insurance company. Um, we just bought it, so, I mean, it's not like it really depreciated much. It didn't even change the oil in it. And I thought, well, you know, we're going to get back what we paid for it. I looked online to see what the replacement value was, and it was about the same steady. And I get a, a, um, uh, an email from my insurance company saying it's, it's going to be about $2,500 less that they're going to give than what we're out. Part of that I kind of get, but there was a big part of it that didn't make any sense. So I did my homework, and I learned that, yeah, they have a, they have a way of doing this. I, I looked at the dealer's price, the NADA book, not the Kelly Blue book. I, I just did a search of 100, car, or 100 miles radius of that car, what it was going for, and I sent it all back to them. You know what they said? Doesn't matter. We don't use that. We don't use that. I said, well, what do you use? And they said, we use the CCC. Now, if you're an insurance person, I apologize, and it's been nice knowing you. Uh, but, um, and I said, well, what's that? And they said, well, that's the Collateral Claims Corporation. I'm like, has anybody ever heard of them? No, okay. They said the whole industry uses them. Uh, well, can I use them? No, you can't. Can I get their information? No, you can't. It's just our information. And so they're the ones who give the valuation for the price, I said, well, how do you argue with them? You, you can't. And I'm like, what do you, you can't. Okay, so I buy a car. I, I pay, let's say I pay, um, I'm not going to give the price, uh, but you, I mean, if you ask me, I'll tell you. But let's say I pay 20000 for it. And, um, and, and, and they say, we're going to give you eighteen. And then you're like, well, I got to come up with $2,000 more. And they're like, well, that's fine. You got gap insurance, right? And I'm like, I didn't even know I needed gap insurance. So I'm buying this other car to replace that one. I'm like, do I need gap insurance or don't I need gap insurance? How much are they going to give me if the same thing happens again? I'll never know. So I need some gap insurance. Do you see where I'm going with this? Okay, so that's just an example of your world and mine. It's just the way the world is working. It is very convoluted in a way that's totally confusing to people that aren't insiders. And the prophets in the time before John, who was the last of the prophets, they called that out. They called that out, and they said, hey, saving souls is important, but people live at the ground level, and they have to deal with this day in and day out. And it's not fair. It's not right. It's not just. And there's this sense, well, what is... And John the Baptist says, we're making straight the way of the Lord because a new day is coming. And if you read Mary's song and Zechariah's song in the birth narratives, if you read Luke, you find that God's going to fix it all, top to bottom. It's not going to be like, hey, we're going to give you a dollar today, but tomorrow it's only going to be worth 60 cents. Now, some people will gain from that, but you won't. And it's not going to be anything like that. So I want to show a graphic of what happened during Easter. Because this is sort of where this scripture is going. Last Sunday, we celebrated beautifully 
uh, Easter celebration after going through Lent, which was a difficult, dark moment for a lot of us. But there was something special about the celebration because I just heard people sing heart and soul. It was like the reality that we've been told in Scripture is just alive in this room. And what it was was a harbinger of the things to come, the new creation, this vision that Jesus talked about when he talked about the kingdom that said, there is going to be, it's not here yet, going to be a, a way that things are ordered where we get along the way we're supposed to get along, where we do business the way we're supposed to do business, where hearts reflect when we together the fruit of the Spirit. There's going to be a time when that is the order of the day. And everybody who wants to be there is welcome, even the thief on the cross. If you want to come, that's how we're going to do it. But if you don't want to do it that way, do it your way. But God will just say, I can't be a part of that. And so there's something about the way creation has become so much of, uh, hey, we're going to do it our way, God. That God says, well, we're going to have to reset it completely in a new way with only the people that want to be there, the people that say yes to God. And yes, God, I'll surrender to your will, not my will, but your will be done. I want that thing that you are planning to unfold when the right time comes that your son started here on earth. Now, when Jesus started baptizing people in the wake of John baptizing people, he began to talk about that thing called the new creation. He began to talk about the kingdom and the order and the economy of God. And he uses imagery by contrasting what is happening on earth versus what is happening in heaven. Because John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. Because if it's sourced from the world, it's probably not going to be even useful. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have, sent but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands in hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, you may be asking yourself, all of a sudden we're talking about a wedding. We we're talking about a new creation, but now we're talking about a wedding. And why is John, of all things, saying, let's talk a little bit about the bride, the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom? because it is perhaps the most important thing to talk about here. You know, the Bible begins with sort of a, a, a wedding. It's, it's, it's the knitting together of God and man and then husband and wife. And did you know the last verse in the Bible, next to the one that John says, don't add or take away from what I just said, the last verse in the Bible, Revelation twenty-two, seventeen, 17, says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty say, come, and let the one who wishes 
take the free gift of the water of life. And he's essentially saying, if you feel like this world as you know it is broken and it is unsatisfying and not able to fulfill the longings inside of you in a satisfactory way, well, then come. But what's so beautiful and satisfying about it is that's the first time he mentions it, but uh, he mentions it in Revelation 19. He says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Getting, talking about the things getting ready to end on earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, if I were to take a poll in here, and I were to ask the question, what's, what was the best day of your life? John, you know the answer to that question 59 years ago. Yes. But it's true. There are so many people that will tell you this is the best day of my life. You don't forget it. Uh, I, I remember mentioning, I'm going to embarrass her a little bit, but I had a coworker uh, who I talked to a lot, and um, I, I got to watch her and her husband to be walk down the aisle. And I, I mentioned it one day, and she said, That was the best day of my life. And I thought, that is so cool. And I said, you know, that's, that's a covenant that we're here to support as a community because that's how, how we, we're supposed to do. And the idea that God uses to convey to us what that looks like has all of the notions and the connotations of the, of the satisfying intimacy of a husband and a wife. Now, it's not sexualized in any sense, but the idea that God is there when you go through a time of celebration, just like a God is there when you get that diagnosis from your doctor, and it's not good. God is there when you're asking yourself, God, where were you when this happened to my grandson or to my son? God is there. He is faithful, which is marriage language for sure. And we may not think about it that way, but 16 times in the New Testament alone, it's referred to even some powerful parables about the bride and the bridegroom and the marriage feast and all that coming together. And the idea is that this is working towards something beautiful that has a new, basically, a new thing that comes out of that, which is what happens in a marriage. A life together built on a kind of meaning that has been established covenantally, fruitful and multiplying in some cases. I mean, some of you, like Chuck and Becky, holy cow, you guys just prolific. Um, honoring the mandate, but my goodness. And there's something about the hope that those two together will thrive. I mean, everybody's cheering for them, but we all know you kind of have to sort of grind it out sometimes. There are days when you're like, I think it's gonna, I think this is coming to an end. 
And then God somehow, the third party in the covenant says, no, it's just, it's just a big bump in the road. With me, you'll get through it. And there are a lot of people that can say, yeah, we had some pretty big bumps in the road, but God was always faithful and defended that. And you remember that graphic I showed you a minute ago, that in-between time where you got Easter and you got Jesus coming back? Well, we're kind of in that betrothal period where it's pretty bumpy. And we're not sure whether we trust this or not, whether it's this person or whether it's God. We're not sure if he's going to be faithful under these conditions. We're not sure that he's going to get us through that. We're not sure that, well, you know, I, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm jealous or insecure. And God is saying, I understand. Yet, I am faithful. And the resurrection is the first fruits that says, this is the thing. And Jesus showing up for 40 days afterwards says, this is a thing. This is going somewhere. And I'm here to show you that. And I want you to know this is the word that people need to hear, that this is going somewhere, and I'm at the center of it. And John the Baptist, fully attuned to that, said, I think one of the most powerful things that you can say, and that is, he must increase, and I must decrease. And if you want to know the secret to discipleship, that's it in a nutshell. More of God, less of me. And it takes a lifetime to delayer me so that he can fit more and more into who I am. And I've discovered that as I invite him into those places where I didn't want him to be, he makes them even better. He makes them more life-giving. He establishes them in ways that I couldn't on my own. And John knew that. He knew that as counterintuitive as it is, as much as the culture says, hey, it is all about you, it's not really. It's all about us. And the only way us works is through him. That's the only way. Because I'm, I'm, I'm probably as strong-willed as anybody in the room. And some of you have seen that and some of you have said, that's not been very pretty, Leonard. But when the Lord says, I want to inhabit that space, you see a better version of me. I see a better version of you. And then I'm asking the question, God, what do you want me to do with that? And so we'll end it here. It says, he who comes from above is above. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand, and whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And we didn't really go into it, but John 3, 16 and 17 says the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in, in him shall not perish but have ever, ever, everlasting life. 
And then in John 3, 17, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And John just says that over and over and over. And he says, this is how much the heart of God is, is, is a champion for you. During Easter, Amy read Psalm 118, and it ends with, his love endures forever. And I remember, I, I said, Amy, that's, that's crazy, because I read devotionally that morning, because I didn't have to preach, it was great. Well, no, I had to preach. Maybe it was, it was the Palm Sunday. So I read devotionally Psalm 136, and 26 times it says in Psalm 136, his love endures forever. God is faithful, and his love endures forever. His love for you, for me. We are his beloved. We just live in a very messed up set of circumstances. A lot of it through no fault of our own, but some of it we've contributed to. And God says, we'll just start with you. And then you will become us. And then you becomes us together. And then you, us together, serving together, engaging for the purpose of the kingdom, the world together. And he says this, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whosoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I just want to settle into that last phrase for a second. Because we imagine God having a posture towards us as, yeah, I know you love me, but I also know you, you kind of hate me. And I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm in or not. And maybe you've had that feeling. That when I get there... I've accumulated so many sins, I'm not sure I'm going to make it, to be honest with you. I'm not who you think I am. All those things go through your mind. But the wrath of God basically is just an echo from creation, which says when you deviate from God's creational purposes and you decide to go down a path that is different than the one that God has created for us to, to live in, when he said, this is good, this is good, this is good, I've set it up so that it's all if you follow this way, it is very good, and you will be blessed. But if you don't follow this way, well, I didn't make it for any other purpose. And so it's just not going to work. The machinery is not set up for you to make up your own script. You can, but it's just not going to all integrate together. And right now, my friends, we are living in a moment where the script of God has been abandoned. And what is the fruit of that? What is the fruit of it? Is it life-giving? Do you leave the space and say, hey, the world's doing a really good job with technology. The world's doing a really good job with healthcare. The world's doing a really good job with insurance. You know, pick your thing. And you discover that the wrath of God is in those spaces because God is not in those spaces. He's not honored in those spaces. And those spaces are actually working against his creational design. That's what it means. Go your own way. But I can assure you, you aren't made to go your own way. You are made 
to be in a life-giving, life-sustaining relationship with God. One where John 6 says it all, Jesus came so that you would believe. And he's not talking about believe like, hey, you know what, I've done the math here, and well, evolution doesn't make sense, but creation does. Or whatever it is that you've got to say, hey, the facts seem to fit. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about getting a bunch of theology in order. He's saying, do you believe in me? Now, just imagine, I didn't get this from, from, I got this from Alistair Begg, and I thought it was profound. And he mentioned the thief on the cross going into what we would call the pearly gates. And the question was, why are you here? We're not sure why you're here. Uh, Because, well, you weren't baptized. Um, You didn't respond to the gospel. Do you understand justification, by the way? Do you know the Lord's Prayer? Do you, do you, do you, have you behaved in a way that's proper? Why are you here? And it's sort of like a moment of perplexity. Why, why are you here? And the simple answer is, I was on the cross, and I met him, one filled with grace and truth. And when I met him, I believed in him. That's why I'm here. I'm teaching you some stuff here. But you can go through the motions all day long that one day say, I've been going to church for a long time, but God just, I don't know, we've just kind of had a party in the ways. You know, like some marriages. You know, you perform the role, but you forget the person. And God says, I'm always with you. I'm here to help you even with that. That's about all I can tell you other than the place to start is baptism because it is a way of saying, I need a new beginning. And for us, that's why we've created this structure in our building. It's not even a big enough pool to swim in. Kids have tried, I know. Jason's probably even tried back in the day. No, you're probably too big. You probably tried in the other church. It is there for the sole purpose of helping you to identify with a new group of people that becomes your community, your family, your forever family, your new creation. Because there's going to come a day when the groom will come and he will reunite with the bride and we are that bride. And he's going to consummate it all. And what I loved about how the ladies set up Easter was I'm like, they sent me the picture and I'm like, that looks a lot like a wedding. But in fact, it is a wedding. And like any proposal, it begins with the question, will you or won't you? Peg said yes. And John said, what am I getting into? (laughs) Same with you guys. Back there. 57 years. You have to say yes or it doesn't work. And I don't know if you've said yes to him or not, and if you have, I just want you to be supported in that, and I want you to keep that relationship alive and healthy. And if you haven't, 
that's why we're here. And you can have a conversation with me or anybody that looks like they know what they're talking about, and we'll all give you the same thing. We just want you to meet him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it is a joy to celebrate not only the resurrection, but the hope of your coming again and consummating the new creation once and for all. And Lord, you have called each of us to be a part of this gathering in a way that engages us. And Father, I would just ask that as you do that, that you help us to ask you the question, why have I been sent? And what have I been called to do? And how is it that we can best prepare everybody for the invitation that you've given us for the wedding that is just on the road ahead? Father, help us to see what our part is in making that a beautiful occasion. And Father, where we are uncomfortable, help us to just be obedient to your calling whether it's setting up a Bible study or whether it's just being asked to do some kingdom work episodically or to do volunteer work in a way that engages us for a period of time. I don't know what that is for each person here, but I just want to unleash that so that who we are supposed to be can come alive so that we can know our calling and vocation for the new creation that is on the road ahead. Find us faithful, Father. Find us engaged. Help us to see you in the process and trust that you are with us as we step out and do things that are beyond our imagining. And just thank you, Father, for the ear that you've given me with your people here as we call ourselves your family together. Amen. Before I go into communion, I just wanted to mention that you were given a handout, uh, but basically it's just a survey. And we encourage everybody to fill it out. If you want to put your name on it, that's helpful, but if not, that's okay. But basically, we're just asking three questions. So we're trying to get a sense of how we can engage you more. And so we just want to know, are you serving or you're not? We're not judging. We want to know if um, there's something in the community that you've been doing. And, and, and the goal is um, not only to recognize ways that we can partner with people in the community like we've done, but maybe ways that God is giving us a path to do the work that we're called to do until he comes again. John said, I'm sent, so I got a job to do. And I think that applies every one of us. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm just here to call you into that thing that God says is a good thing. And um, when you get done filling it out, um, take a minute, and um, then Jerry's going to lead us to the Lord's table. the sunshine out there that we've had all week. I'm sure many are spending their time outside doing a little cleaning up. Maybe you're cleaning up your car, your yard, what, what not. But it's just been so 
so inviting to get that air. But yet the morning comes after that and you get that sense of you need renewed. Maybe it's as you get older, the aches and the pains come along. But it just reminds me of the how the tie between baptism that John was performing here that we heard of this morning and, and the communion and the similarities. So if you'll bow your heads as we pray, as we go to the table. Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the sunshine. We thank you that uh, we don't need to be perfect to be here, to receive you, to receive this meal. We thank you for preparing it for us. For this clean start, for a time to for us to look into our own hearts of where we're at. And just as baptism is taking communion, being that confession of our faith, how it anchors us in you, Lord, how it unites us with you and us with one another. So fathers, we take that time, just ask you to, Renew us this day in you as we take this bread and this cup as a celebration of your life for dying on that cross for us. For renewing us, for drawing us to you. Just ask that you bless these things to us. In your son's name we pray. Go ahead and stand and we'll sing out. There's a place mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood comes flowing down at the cross I 
that's why I owe to you, I owe to you, Jesus. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. with God and forgiveness where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender
We're eternally grateful, Lord. We praise you for this day, for the hope we have in you and you alone. May we go from here and show you to everybody that hope we have, the joy that you give us. Let us share that with the world, Lord. We love you and we praise you for this day. Amen. Be safe. Go out and enjoy the sunshine. See you next week.